Thank you for joining us today. For more information about the church, campus locations, service times, and more, visit ecoegt.com. Also, stay in touch with us on social media by liking us on Facebook and following us on Instagram, at ecoegt. Now let's repair our hearts as we go into the message. If you would, take your Bibles with me. Turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians, continuing our sermon series in 1 Thessalonians. It's our 11th sermon. Go to chapter 3. Chapter 3, we're going to pick up in, the, the, uh, in verse 3, and we'll, re- we'll read down to verse, verse 8. Matter of fact, the, the last part of verse 3 says, but you know that we are destined for such troubles. Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonians, and Thessalonica, and Thessalonica was going through great tribulation, great suffering, uh, great persecution. Paul was reminding them, he says, we are destined for such troubles. Even while we were with you, we warned you that troubles would soon come. And they did, as you well know. That is why when I could bear it no longer, I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. I was afraid that the tempter had gotten the best of you and that our work had been useless. But now Timothy has just returned, bringing us good news about your faith and your love. He reports that you always remember our visit with joy and that you want to see us as much as we desire to see you. So we have been greatly encouraged in the midst of our troubles and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, because you have remained strong in your faith. It gives us new life to know that you are standing firm in the Lord. It gives us new life to know that you are standing firm in the Lord. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your word tonight. And Lord, I pray that you'd open up our hearts to receive. And Lord, give us ears that would hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. And Lord, as we take these verses and we go uh, from verse to verse, I pray, Father, that That, Lord, as we study your word, that we'll be transformed and conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, you know exactly what each of us are going through. May we take these principles. May we be able to apply them in context to our life. And, Lord, may we leave here tonight encouraged. And everybody said? Amen. So I remind you that the occasion of Paul writing the letter to the Thessalonians is in response to the report that Timothy had brought back to him concerning the the status of the the new believers in Thessalonica. It really is a beautiful letter composed out of love. It's, It's a letter that is composed out of concern for these new converts And it's really a letter composed to admonish them. It's a letter of admonishment. This church was birthed in the fire of suffering and also sustained in the fires of suffering. I think it's like the the cliche, the saying that that we have, and you hear people to say, what God brings you to, he'll bring you through. Amen? Other words, what, what God allows to pass into your, your journey, God will also give you the grace to, uh, to walk through it. If you come to the fire, he's also got grace for the fire. And aren't you thankful for that? Amen? Amen. 
So the first thing we want to look at is this, and it's kind of be the, the kind of theme of our 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 talk tonight, our sermon tonight. Troubles will come. Troubles will come. Now, verse three, the the the, the closing part of verse three simply simply says this: that you've been destined for troubles. That word destined is appointed. And it's, or, and, and it's used in other translations to mean to be laid out. It means common. Paul had experienced great suffering himself. It was a part of his journey. It was a part of, uh, of the process that he went through as he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, you know, we don't hear a whole lot about suffering today. We don't like to talk about suffering. We don't like to talk about trials and, and hardships, but, but the word of God has a lot to say about suffering. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10 through 12, Paul was writing to Timothy, who now at this time is the pastor of Ephesus. You fast forward many years, and Timothy is the pastor of Ephesus, and he writes this letter. To Timothy, but you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. Timothy, if anybody knows my life, you know my life. If anybody knows what my purpose has been, you know it because you have been there. He says, You know my faith, my patience, my, my love, and my endurance. You know, endurance is developed when you walk through difficult times, difficult things. Endurance is developed when you walk through times of suffering. Endurance is developed when you are in a pressure situation. He says, you know my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. Yes, and everyone who wants to live, notice this, who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Wow. Everybody who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, one of the things when you read the letters of the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, he was not a flatterer. He didn't flatter people. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't just blow smoke, so to speak, you know. He really was, he was larger a pragmatist. In Acts 14, verse 21, says, after preaching the good news in Derb and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch of, of Pisidia, where they strengthened the believers and they encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Reminding the believers. And I, I think it's important that we remind ourselves that hardships are a part of the journey. That there may be some sufferings along the way that we must endure, but God is working and producing something in uh, us. So 
In our passage in Thessalonians 3 verse 4, he says, we warned you. Other words, it was a part of the missionaries' teaching when they gave them the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was a part of their teaching. So let me give you an observation. I don't think we do the body of Christ good, nor do we do new converts good, when we paint the picture that the Christian life is all ease. I don't think we do one another good when we just talk about, oh, how great life is, and when you become a Christian and, and you, you, you are blessed, great things do happen. But if we think it's all ease, then when hardship comes, when trials and suffering comes, it knocks us off center. So I think it's imperative and important that a part of our message is a well-rounded message that, that we must understand that persecution and suffering is a part of the journey of following Christ. They persecuted your master. They'll also persecute his servants. They persecuted your Lord, and they'll also persecute his disciples. Now, it's not a popular message. But the truth of the matter is, sometimes the Christian life is painful. Sometimes people leave you. Sometimes people turn against you. People accuse you. People attack you. And the truth of the matter is, the scriptures have a whole lot to say about suffering. It's all about the counting the cost of discipleship. This persecution would not have caught the Thessalonians off guard because they had been warned that this was a part of their Christian faith. And I think today some people are knocked off center because they've not been warned it's a part of the Christian faith. It's a part of the process. It's a part of the journey. I thank God for all the blessings. I thank God for all the, the high times, the great times, the wonderful times. But to have the truth of God's gospel, well-rounded presentation, we also got to talk about sometimes there's going to be some hardships. And you got to learn to bear up. You got to learn to be strong. You got to learn to, to let the Lord develop endurance in you. Sometimes not everybody's going to like you. Sometimes there may be people accuse you. Sometimes people may, may, may speak against you. Sometimes you may be passed over uh, for the promotion, not because you're not qualified, but because your light is shining so brightly that the spirit of Antichrist doesn't like you, so the world's against you. It's got nothing to do with qualification. It's got to do with the one you serve. Hear me. Count it all joy when you walk through that trial. Count it all joy and understand that, that you will undergo suffering. You will undergo times when the world is going to come against you. So often when bad things begin to happen to believers today, at least to Western believers, we act surprised about it. We almost act offended by it. However, in the early church, they were taught to count it all joy. They even saw it as a part of the will of God for their lives. And we would do well to talk about the sufferings of believers. For when we talk about it, then we begin to normalize it. And when something is normalized, then 
when it happens, it's not a shock. Now, I don't know if we're doing each other a favor by not talking about persecution or suffering. And what we want to do is take away the surprise of the enemy. What we do know about the Thessalonians is this. They were well prepared for the hardships ahead of them. And I believe the reason was is because Paul had warned them. Paul had told them, it's going to happen. You're destined for it. You're appointed for it. So, so learn to be strong. Learn to bear up. Learn to make sure your, genu- your, your faith is genuine. Your faith is authentic because it's going to be tried in the fire. And church, when you're warned about something, you can prepare for something. When you know something's ahead of you, you can begin to to make preparation for what is ahead of you. The Holman New Testament commentary states this. Paul reminded the Thessalonians that he had warned them about the coming trials when he was with them. Time and again, he had told them that the hard times were in front of them. And these difficulties should not have taken anyone by surprise. Paul had done the Thessalonian believers a great service by by this warning. And we do well to warn new believers too. To let people think that Christ will usher them into a life of ease and unending happiness is not only untrue, but it's also very harmful. Christ warned us, the writer says. Paul warned us. And we should make it clear to new believers that difficulties lie ahead in life. Turn with me to John 15. Let's hear the words of Jesus as he warned his disciples. Verse 19, verse 18 actually. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world. This is important. You're in the world, but you're not of the world. Did you hear me? You live in the world, but you don't belong to the world. You've been chosen to come out of the world. So you know what? The world hates you. The world, talking about the system of the power, the God of, the, of, of, of this world, being, being uh, the principalities and the powers of darkness, that world hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A, a slave is not greater than the master since they persecuted me. Naturally, they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They would do all this to you because of me. For they have rejected the one who sent me. Notice why, why the source of that persecution. Because they rejected God. It's got less to do about you and more to do about him. Did you hear me? It has less to do about you and more to do about him. They reject you because they rejected him him. They reject you because you belong to him. And because you belong to him, they rejected him. So they reject everything that belongs to him. But hear me, you are safe 
in the love of the Father. Because Christ has overcome, so you too shall overcome. You may walk through fire. You may walk through storm. You may walk through times of rejection and persecution. But you'll never be rejected by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You'll never be abandoned by the Lord Jesus Christ. He is there with you. Can you say amen? They'll do all this because of me, for they rejected the one who sent me. Verse 22, they would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me also hates my father. If I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they have seen everything I did, yet they still hate me and my father. This fulfills was written in scripture. They hated me without cause, but I will send you the advocate. Did you hear me? I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from my father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. And then chapter 16, verse 1, I've told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. (laughs) I told you these things for a purpose. I told you these things for a reason. I told you these things because when they happen, I don't want you to be surprised. When people come against you, when people hate you, people persecute you, when, uh, when you're passed over for promotions and when, when you seem to be rejected by others, don't, don't be surprised. I've told you these things so you won't abandon your faith. He did so to prepare them. He told us these things to assure them and also To equip them. Hear me. Knowledge gives the ability to prepare oneself. Mentally. Emotionally. And spiritually. It's imperative. You prepare yourself mentally. Emotionally. And spiritually. On two other occasions. Jesus used this same methodology. That phrase. I've told you these things. You'll find it in John 14. Verse 29. He says, I have told you these things before they happen so that when they do happen, you will believe. I've told you these things so when it happens, listen, you'll have faith. And then in chapter 15, verse 11, he says, I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. So in these two examples, notice the knowledge was produced faith, belief, faith, and joy. Hear me, when you have the knowledge, you understand that we've been destined to walk through some difficult times. When it happens, it doesn't have to cause you to abandon your faith, but it'll actually strengthen your faith. It won't actually produce grief in you, but there can be joy in the midst of the storm. (laughs) I've told you these things so that in me, 
you'll have joy. Because, because in actuality, it's just proof that your God's in control. Uh, he told you before it's ever going to happen, it was going to happen. So when you walk through it, you know, you know what? My God is working. My God is for me. He already told me I was going to walk through this, and I am going to be okay. Can somebody say amen? Paul realized and even, even taught, tribulations will come from a society opposed to the values at the core of Christianity. And church, we're seeing it today. We're seeing it today. If you stand up for traditional marriage, if you stand up between marriage of a man and a woman, now you're called a bigot, a racist. Now you're called homophobic. In our society today, you're going to have to learn how to stand. And I don't want to be a prophet of gloom. I don't want to be a prophet of, 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 of negative things. But it's imperative that you know what lies ahead. It's imperative that you understand that you're going to have to be willing to be maligned for your faith. You're going to have to be willing to stand up for truth. You're going to have to be willing to stand up and declare, I believe the word of the living God. I believe the truth of Jesus Christ. I believe that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And they may attack you. They may come against you. They may even try to label you. But hear me. Count it all joy. Because the Lord told you ahead of time it was going to happen. Verse 5, it tells us. Let's talk about Timothy's mission. Timothy, uh, Paul says, that is why when I could bear it no longer, I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. I told you trouble was coming, and, and guess what? It happened. And I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about you. Paul was concerned about them, and he wanted to know about their spiritual welfare. So he sent Timothy to find out whether their, their, their faith was still strong. I was afraid. Notice what he says. I was afraid that the tempter had gotten the best of you and that our work had been useless. Paul wanted a report so I could bear it no longer. The apostle, again, highlights his desire, his concerns for the Thessalonians. And his desire was to hear of their progress and the status of their faith. So he sent Timothy. When I look at this, and I want to reiterate some things I said just a couple of weeks ago. I sent Timothy. Why did he send Timothy? Timothy was a son. And church, hear me. We need to be producing sons and daughters. Did you hear me? We need to be producing sons and daughters. Timothy was a son. He had the DNA of the heart of his mentor. He had the DNA of the mission. And it's imperative that we grow and beget sons and daughters. When Paul needed to send someone to get the job done, he looked to a son. And it's imperative that we learn to mentor and we learn to invest in the next generation. And then we learn to release the next generation to be used by God. That's the part of the training. That's the part of the process. That's the part of the growing. That's the part of becoming uh, and answering the call of God. So we must be a house that begets sons and daughters, I'm believing the time is now where we're raising up 
missionaries. We're raising up pastors and preachers, evangelists. We're raising up worship leaders, developing them, releasing them, church planners to go into the harvest field because the harvest is ready. I believe now is the time. We must be begetting sons and daughters. What I see about Paul sending Timothy is I see this. Timothy was in the process. We read a little bit earlier from 2 Timothy. And as we read 2 Timothy, I told you that it's fast forwarding many years. And Timothy at that point was the pastor of Ephesus. So now rewind. And here's Timothy, the protege of the Apostle Paul, a spiritual son the Apostle Paul. We had the vantage point of seeing the full circle. Timothy, the pastor, but at this moment, Timothy didn't know he would be the pastor of Ephesus. He submitted to the process. He was willing to serve whom God had placed in his life. Timothy became the pastor of Ephesus, but now he was serving the man. He was serving the mission And he was serving where God had placed him. Be faithful where God has planted you. Jesus said, Luke records this in Luke 16, verse 10. If you are faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. In other words, keep your hand to the plow because your time is coming. In other words, keep showing up, keep serving, keep doing. You shall reap if you faint not. Often we want to jump to the opportunity. But God's looking for you to jump to serve. Often we want to jump to the platform. And God's looking for the process. What God was working in Timothy's life was the process. Because God saw Remember, your days are laid out before him. He knew that he's going to be destined to be a mighty man of God, a pastor of Ephesus, but there was a process he was going through. Surrender to the process. So he sent Timothy to find out. Paul said, when I could bear it no longer, I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. So notice this. It was a a discovery mission. It was a fact-finding mission. Timothy was sent back to Thessalonica in order to assess the situation. And hear me, there is nothing wrong with taking time to assess things. A matter of fact, it is needful and even necessary. Timothy was there to gather a report. Sometimes we look and we say, it's not spiritual to do those things. But hear me, it's very spiritual to assess. If you want to know where you're at, you want to know how to get where you're going, then you got to assess where you are at this moment. Assess your spiritual walk. Assess your spiritual growth. Assess where you are. We as a church, we as a leadership, we as a pastoral team, we assess where we are. How can we do things better? How can we become more effective in our outreach? How can we become more effective in our ministry to the families that God has placed in our care? We assess, and it's important that you keep assessing and you reassess, you reevaluate, and you learn, you grow, and you implement new things. Paul sent Timothy to evaluate and to assess the situation. 
So he was gathering a report. It became his fiduciary responsibility to bring a word, to bring a report back to the apostle of the progress of the church, the Thessalonians. Paul's concern was this, verse 6, I was afraid the tempter had gotten the best of you and that our work had been useless. The tempter, understand, we fight a real devil. Did you hear me? You fight a real devil. We face a true enemy. Paul always knew our true enemy was, who he was, and that he's the devil. He describes him as uh, the tempter. And a tempter is one who entices to go a different path. A tempter is one who entices another to get off track, entices into error. See, the tempter is always trying to entice or to tempt one away from God and the ways of God to a different path. But listen to what Paul writes to the Corinthian church. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. He says, the temptations in your life are no different than what others experience. God is faithful. Can somebody say amen? God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. You can overcome. God is faithful. See, see, hear me. The tempter is going to come to try to tempt you to, to trust in your own self, to trust in your own talents, to trust in something besides God. He's going to try to tempt you to go a different path. But remember, the midst of that tempter coming against you, God is faithful. God will sustain you. God can empower you. God can help you find that way of escape. Can somebody say amen? amen. Paul's concern was, he says, I was concerned, I was worried that the tempter had come and gotten you off track and our work had been useless. Nobody likes to think that their work it's just done away. You ever done something real nice in the yard, you worked all day, you get inside, then a thunderstorm comes and just sets you back to zero? Nobody likes your work to be useless. And let's talk about finally the, the report. The report, verse six, but now Timothy has just returned bringing us good news about your faith and love. He reports that you always remember our visit with joy and that you want to see us as much as we want to see you. So the concern Paul originally had, the anxiety that he had experienced wondering about the fragile church, were all alleviated at the report given to him by Timothy. This report and subsequent joy was the source of Paul writing, writing the letter of 1 and 2 Thessalonians. He says, I, 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 I've received the report of the good news about your faith. That word faith refers to the Thessalonians' attitude toward God and their relationship with him. He says, I've received the report of the good news about your love. Love, though connected to faith, is more the demonstration of it is, is expressed toward other people. Remember back in chapter 1, verse 3? As Paul opens the letter, he says, we pray to our God and Father about you. We think of your faithful work, your loving deeds. 
See, they, their, their deeds were an expression of their faith. Their acts of love one to the other was an expression of their faith. And the report of that, when Timothy brought that back, it alleviated the concerns of the Apostle Paul because he realized that their faith was genuine. Their faith was genuine because it was lived out in how they treated one another. Their faith was demonstrated to be genuine in how they treated one another. Wow. That's so important today. It's so important that we allow our faith to become practical. We allow our faith to totally, totally enhance and totally transform us. In church, it should affect the decisions we make. It should affect how we talk to each other, how we deal with conflict, how we deal with issues, how we deal with, with situations in our life. Our faith should affect every area of our life. Can somebody say amen? amen. On both counts, the Thessalonians were doing well. These were important matters of life. Paul found his greatest joy in people who lived out their faith in love. And he goes on to say, I realize I was concerned that this was just a one-way street, that my love for you was greater than your love for me. But Timothy brought back a report of their mutual affection and desire. So it implies that Timothy must have sat down with the Thessalonians and in conversation, he realized the love the Thessalonians had toward Paul was the same he had toward them. Look at verse 6, the second part. He reports that you always remember our visit with joy and that you want to see us as much as we want to see you. Notice it's not a one-sided relationship, but a mutual relationship built on respect, built on affection, built on admiration, and built on love. And church, it gives us a great model of how our relationships should be. Our relationships should be built on respect, affection, admiration, and love one for the other. Now, in closing, I want you to see this in verse 7 and 8 because it's so important. As you see the result of this report, the impact it had on the apostle, the impact that their faithfulness, their endurance in hard times, their standing up under the affliction the impact it had on the apostle. And I want you to realize this, that your faithfulness in hard times, you may feel like you're going through it all alone, but your life is actually speaking and have an influence on others, even when you don't realize it. Verse seven says this, so we have been greatly encouraged in the midst of our troubles and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, because you have remained strong in your faith. It gives us new life to know that you are standing firm in the Lord. So notice, you do not live in isolation. Our actions can have significant impact on someone else. Paul said we have been encur greatly encouraged in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of, of our, our suffering. See, the Thessalonians were not the only ones going through a time of suffering and hardship. I mean, let's take a short trip with Paul down memory lane just for a second. For Paul and his associates, the ministry in Macedonia and Achaia had been extremely difficult. 
I remind you, they were beaten and jailed and defamed in Philippi. They were persecuted and expelled from Thessalonica and Berea. And Paul was rejected and scorned in Athens. And he describes how he was in Corinth in, in weakness and fear and with much trembling. In 2 Corinthians, he, he details the adversity he faced, all in the fulfillment of the revelation of the Lord by the sufferings that he would have to endure. Wow. So here's a man who's walking through suffering himself, and he's concerned about someone else. And when the report comes back, the report encourages this apostle who had been through the fire himself. It encouraged him because they had remained strong in their faith, standing strong. Remember, it's more than just about you. Your ability to stand strong may be the very encouragement somebody needs to get through what they're going through. You're living for more than just yourself. You're fighting that struggle for more than just yourself. You're walking through that hardship for more than just yourself. Your life is inspiring others. The Apostle Paul was concerned. He had great affection for the Thessalonians, and he was really wanting a report. And in turn, in turn, trying to be a blessing to them, they in turn became a blessing to him. And I want to close with this. Musicians begin to come. In the last part, I think it's verse 8. It says, it gives us new life to know that you're standing firm in the Lord. It gives us new life. Oh, I like that. I like how the New Living Translation translates. It gives us new life. When I think of this, I think of refreshing. I think of a drink of a glass of cool water on a hot summer day. I think of an extra step in your walk, a pep in your walk. You gives us new life. That's gasoline in your fuel tank. That's the butter on your bread. That's the jelly on your toast. It's the courage and strength to keep you going another day. Never underestimate how God is using you even when you can't tell it. Even when you don't see it. Your life is a testimony to someone else. It may be the, the very fresh drink of cool water they need when they see you stand, when people are knocking you down. When they see you come to the house of God and they know you're going through, through some tough times, but you're still there just lifting your hands and worshiping God. Never underestimate the power of your influence when you step through these doors and you've gone through hell all week, but you're still here to worship Jesus. You're still here to declare, he's my God, he's my Lord. I may be going through something tough, but I know my God is a good, good father. Never underestimate the influence that you have when you stand up and declare I'm trusting I may be beat down but I'm not cast down I might be knocked down but I'm going to get up hear me your 